I'm struggling, I'm struggling. But I yeah. know I'm the little engine that could. I'm going to make it up that hill because I got to do this for my kiddo. And it gets lonely. So just to have someone else to talk to that says, I see you. I hear you. I have been where you are. I know what it's like. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM dial 102.9. Here today with a special session, no pun intended on the special, with a couple of parents, Patricia Middleman and Ariel Shearer. Good afternoon and welcome. Thank you for doing this. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Good afternoon, Steve. Nice to be here. So we're going to talk about this Special Education Parents Advisory Council, otherwise known as CPAC, and acronyms are fun to use. Certainly they shorten things, but there's a lot in that name, Special Education Parents Advisory Council. So why don't we start there? If you could individually, you know, for the listeners who may not know you, just give a little bit about what you are, how you got involved, and then we can get into more details around what the group does and if they want to get involved, hopefully some of them will. How do they do that? I'll go first. Is that okay, Ariel? What's for me? Um, so the CPAC was created way back in the 90s when they did ed reform. And rather than when they redid all the and created MCAS and all that, they created, made sure that there were uh, individual um, parent organizations. And then there was also the need for a special education parents advisory council. Every town that receives special ed funds also needs to have a CPAC. And the CPAC is to work um, in conjunction with the schools to be a voice for the parents to help them um, bring as the CPAC, we can bring their concerns to the administration. We also provide um, uh, resources. We present, um, we have different presentations that we uh, share with the community, events. And also, more than anything else, it's a way for other parents to reach out with other special needs parents, because sometimes it can be lonely. You feel like you're out there mm. adrift in the ocean. So it's nice to know that you have this island of the CPAC that can help you reach the community as a whole. Yeah, I knew I was aware that it was, quote, formal. I wasn't really aware of how formal it was in going back as far. But yeah, there's the CPAC link on the school, the town's school page, the school committee has a representative that is a liaison to the CPAC as well. So I knew that there was enough going on there. So I'm glad we're, I'm finding out about this because yeah, this will be beneficial for the listeners. Yeah, just to add to what Patty was talking about, um, it is mandated by the state and it's also empowered by the state to work with the special education department in each town to bring the community needs to the folks working in administration there and try to work as a team to um, bring any concerns that people are seeing patterns about, um, to look at the programs and see if the needs are being met. Um, another line, if you go and you look at the regulations, says that membership, any parent uh, guardian can be a member of CPAC. Um, and it, in fact, says membership is offered to all parents of children with dis uh, disabilities and other interested parties. Um, I've 
taken that to mean that that means our community because everybody's interested in the success of the people around them. We, we can lift each other up as a community and um, we can also make it more difficult for each other as a community and why not make it easier? So as far as interested parties, that's everybody. Um, and some of the work that we've been doing recently has been on how can we bring some of that information out to the community? How can we reduce stigma? How can we increase involvement? A lot of parents talk about how they really wanted to do this event or that event, but it just, it just wasn't possible for their child, for their family member, because of a disability or a challenge that they're facing. And sure. we can't, I mean, obviously you can't fix everything to make it possible for every single human being. It, if it's, for instance, town fireworks, you can't make fireworks more quiet or less bright, but you mm -hmm. certainly can put, put a person there who has some noise reducing headphones or maybe some sunglasses, or maybe talk to the school about opening up a room if there's a, a young child who's struggling with that noise and needs somewhere a little more quiet to get on short notice. So what kinds of things can we be doing to work with the community to offer to, to the community? And that's gonna require help from the community because I certainly don't have every single disability or challenge in my family that I can use as a reference. I don't know what other people's kids or family members can best be benefited by. Um, if somebody has a food allergy and that's a lot of people. Um, the CDC is saying that about 8% of school-aged kids have a potentially life-threatening food allergy. 42% um, sure. of those kids have bad reactions. And that's backed up by uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, study that was done recently. But what can we do to help those kids out? I don't know from my own experience. I can certainly go on the internet and look up some things that we can do to make some of these um, events more accessible to those kids to make sure there are food options for those kids. But the people mm -hmm. that are going to know best are gonna be the parents of the kids who are dealing with this on a daily basis. And it's so easy to do once you know what you're doing. It's easy to offer something that's gonna be safe for those kids. There's plenty of products out there these days. So you go on you look at, there was a recent uh, school committee presentation and they talked about 18% of Franklin students, 18%. That's almost a fifth of Franklin students are receiving special education. In one form or another, yes. Yep. Yep. You look at some more statistics and you see that maybe, and this is an approximation, I'm not sure about this number, um, approximately 10% more are on a 504 plan. Um, and a 504 plan, uh, just so folks understand, means that they have something that might need to be accommodated. It could be something like I just said, like a food allergy that the classroom needs to be peanut free. And it could be that they have ADHD and just need um, a particular kind of seating that helps them pay better attention, but they don't need specialized instruction. Mm -hmm. So another 10%, that brings you to 28%. That's more than one in four students in our school system that may have needs that can be addressed through our school systems, that can be accommodated at the different events throughout town, be it school events or community events. That's huge, that is a lot of people. So as a community, as interested parties, whether you have a disability in your family, whether your next door neighbor has it, one in four, one in four school children, yeah, that's a significant impact. And I know as we're getting into uh, 
budget season, although in my conversations with our town administrator, respectfully, budget season effectively changes over the year because there's always something going on with the budget, whether it's planning for the new one, executing the current one, or, or re doing something for the prior ones. Um, there's always something happening. And clearly special ed, I know there's been an awful lot of talk around, well, clearly special ed costs more. Um, but I think one of the under told stories is how well the schools in particular have been continuing to meet the needs in-house, if you will, as opposed to out of district. And there are some students whose needs are such that they're going to be best served out of district. But for the better part of the others to bring them in, the, the cost savings that the town sees, that's an untold story and that needs to be told more of. Yeah, um, I don't know if folks are aware of this, but the law, the, the federal law that governs special education is called IDEA law. It's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and it was originally passed in 1975. Uh, it was called the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, and it opened the door for disabled children to receive a proper education. Um, and a lot of what led to that was studies over the years that showed that you take a kid who has a disability and you separate them from the rest of the group. And um, you might see the Matthew effect. And the Matthew effect is people who succeed at certain kinds of tasks have more opportunities to succeed at those tasks and hence get better. Sure. And a kid who struggles to read might be less interested in trying to read next time. And so he doesn't. And over the course of time, that impacts IQ, it impacts ability to do things. And they were finding, they did studies and they were seeing that when these kids, there was no benefit for the majority, except for in extreme, extreme situations, there was no benefit to separating these kids out into their own classrooms. And there was no detriment to the kids who didn't have disabilities to keep them in if you provided appropriate resources within the classroom. The problem, became when um, Congress promised that they would cover 40% of the cost of these special education services. And frankly, they never got around to covering more than 14%. Mm. So this is an extremely uh, underfunded initiative and that puts the burden on the states, on the schools. Um, and yeah, as you said, it's a lot of money. And if those needs can be met in the classroom, it's not just a question of cost, it's a question of best benefit to the students involved. Sometimes it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard to see what those needs are, especially in a time right now. We know that COVID impacted a lot of kids. We know that it exacerbated a lot of symptoms for a lot of folks. So right now, as you said, budgeting, it's everything's up in the air because so much change has occurred just from what we've dealt with over the last couple of years. And it's hard too, because with budgeting, because the when a student is on an IEP, it needs to be implemented and the funding it's 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 almost like a mandate and then the school has to you know make sure that they have what they need to meet the mandate it's like it's similar as when they enacted the bullying law and they said okay everybody in the school has to teach bullying but the state never gave anybody money to run the bullying programs mm -hmm. so it's 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 comparable with the special needs, but it's, it's, you know, they, the SPED has to, you know, from the budget, Steve, SPED has to be funded first <laughs> and then, and then it goes and it goes down and it goes down from there. 
I, I don't mean I don't mean down. I mean that the <laughs> cost, the cost. Yeah, you know. the, the cost will come down. The prioritization needs to be there, which I think is where you were starting to say we need That's to put right. it up. <laughs> That's what I meant. Yeah, the direction changed, unfortunately, but yeah, we knew what you meant. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I think that um, what we would hope is that um, that parents realize that you do not need to have a special needs child to be part of CPAC. You know, we want you to encourage you to be involved. Um, we it's also um, as Ariel mentioned, you know, we don't know everything. We don't know all um, the different and diverse learners we have in our community. And that if you can bring something to the table, then we can all just have a better meal if you bring something that we're not, that we haven't been exposed to. Um, myself, just to share a little bit, I have I have two children. I have one, they say neurotypical, uh, who's in college, and then I have a high schooler who has an intellectual disability. So um, along my special needs journey, it was other parents that I learned the most from, even when Lizzie was little and we went from early intervention and working with other parents, and it was talking to other parents that gave me the strength to do what I needed to do for to advocate for Lizzie mm -hmm. and sure. learning from them, you know, and Ariel knows this too. You speak to one parent and they say, well, this is how what happened to me. And I'd like to share this. And another parent says, well, that's not what happened to me. But this is how I came to find the solution that I needed for my child. And that's what I bring to CPAC. And that's what I hope the rest of the community can see um, at large. Patty said that's been a, um, the biggest thing for me is, is talking to other parents. You don't know how much you don't know, and it can be really, really lonely, and it can be really, really overwhelming, and finding those people, um, it, it's, it's the biggest thing in the world. I mean, you just, just the amount of knowledge that is out there, you can't possibly absorb all of it. You think about all of the people in the world, and you go back to why is this important? You know, you look at, I mean, look at all the famous people out there. Stephen Hawking, uh, Helen Keller, Lewis Carroll was autistic. Um, Muhammad Ali, Selma Hayek, Karen Knightley, Gwen Stefani, Jennifer Aniston, Tom Cruise, Richard Branson, Steve Jobs. They all were dyslexic. Albert Einstein, Pablo Picasso, and George Washington are all suspected to have been dyslexic. Um, What's his name? Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter. Mm. Has, he um, has talked about his struggles with dyspraxia, which he describes as being super clumsy. Um, Justin Timberlake, Serena Williams, Justin Bieber, they've all talked about having ADHD. Tourette's, uh, Billie Eilish, David Beckham, Dan Aykroyd, Mozart. You don't realize how much is out there and you can still succeed with all of these things. But I mean, my journey started, I don't know, about five years ago, and I had no idea how much I thought I knew and didn't, like dyslexia. You know, you look at the media, you look at what you've learned. I went to a fairly prestigious university, and I didn't know until about two or three years ago that dyslexia wasn't about numbers and letters going back and forth on the page. It's actually, in fact, about 80% of people with dyslexia are, are facing a phonological processing deficit, which is a challenge in reading, processing, and blending the sounds that make up words. Uh, people think of Tourette's, they see it in the movies. They, they think of something called coprolalia, which is the yelling out of swears. 10% of people with Tourette's experience that symptom. 
Um, OCD, more can be ticks and yeah. um, mm -hmm. or or um, other it's things of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. OCD isn't always about germs and washing your hands. It can be as something like intrusive thought patterns, and the compulsion can be the attempt to suppress those thoughts. And one of my favorite sayings that I've heard lately is, despite the stereotypes, you may, you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So you 100%. don't know. Yep, hmm. You don't know about these things. And you can be an intelligent person. You can be an aware person. And for me, being part of CPAC doesn't mean that I know more than any other parent. Doesn't I, I might know less than every other parent, but it means that I'll try my hardest to find somebody who is struggling, who's drowning in, in their kids' needs because they don't know where to start. I'll try to help them find a direction to go. I'll try to help them find a person who maybe has had a similar journey. And um, it's, it's again, I'm gonna go right back to it's being part of a community and helping to lift other people up because that's where you're gonna succeed. And one little act to try to take away some of that struggling, it spreads. You smile at a person, their instant response unless something's going on with them that day is going to be the smile back. It is that mm -hmm. simple. To yeah. build the camaraderie and to have, like Ariel has mentioned, there is, you feel a sense of isolation. A couple of new people that we've had is that they just feel so lonely because they're advocating. Um, I call a lot of um, special needs parents superheroes. You know, they don't wear a cape, but they are there every day pushing the boundaries, asking for this, asking for that. And you constantly feel like I'm struggling, I'm struggling, you mm -hmm. know. But I yeah. know I'm the little engine that could. I'm going to make it up that hill because I got to do this for my kiddo. And it gets lonely. So just to have someone else to talk to that says, I see you. I hear you. I have been where you are. I know what it's like. Mm -hmm. you, you're yeah. not alone. And yeah. and that, I think, is so empowering because um, you need to you want everyone wants to be heard. And when you have a special needs kiddo that you're doing your best to advocate for and you run against the different bureaucratic structures and systems and having to navigate all that, it can be frustrating. And just to know there's another parent that says, yeah, I, I, I know. It's kind of stinky. Yeah. Yep. It, it's, it's rough. But I've come out on the other side, you know, and um, I, I got you. You can call me and cry if you want to cry. You can call me and yell. You can call me and yell a whole bunch of expletives if it'll make you feel better. Come over, but... we'll buy a bunch of donuts and eat them together. <laughs> <laughs> Have a glass of wine. But no, we want the people to know that we're we we are parents. We are special needs parents, and we get you. And just seek us out and uh, let us uh, be the light in the darkness. Yeah, I saw something on one of the social webs in the last couple of days. It was a it was an interesting analogy. I think it works well here, where if you look at an egg, whether it's white or brown, just look at the egg. You can't touch it, you can't pick it up. You don't know whether it's hard boiled or raw. And those are just two categories <laughs> for an egg. And effectively to go with the point, you know. We look at each individual and, okay, they're tall, short, blonde, brown, whatever. You don't know the story of the individual until you start getting into it. And that's where the humanity, I think, that you're highlighting, the collection, the community, uh, helping each other, the, that's a great benefit. 
And that's what we want our message. That's, you know, why we're doing this today, Steve, is that we found a community and we want to have like a ripple effect, like you throw a pebble in a pond. Mm-hmm. So I think that's Delcart behind you. So to have, you know, throw it into Delcart and watch it spread. <laughs> yeah. For the audio, radio audience, I do have a screensaver with the Delcart upper pond behind me so that's what she was referring (laughs) that's one of my favorite places in franklin it's it's a great place to walk (laughs) and yet as well it's also inaccessible for some who are challenged because if you can't walk on kind of the rooted structure if you need a flat space there is that one other dam that's nice and flat yeah smooth but to get into the woods you know that that challenges some folks and i respect that so Fortunately, I think there's a number of opportunities, particularly this year, between the master plan, the open space and recreation plan. We can put input into that to say, hey, let's do this. Let's Mm -hmm. put that on a priority list somewhere along the line. Maybe it won't happen tomorrow, but maybe it'll happen sometime. Since you mentioned it, they did just the the open land uh, folks did just put out a survey um, and they're looking for, for how to be ADA compliant. They're looking for how to make these things accessible to people. Uh, they're looking to share that information out. So that's that's a great example. And they did that with um, down at Dacey. It was another special needs mom when they built the, um, the play structure there. She said, my kiddo's in a wheelchair and they can't, how, how's my kid supposed to be able to get mm, there? Right. Yep. She worked really closely with the town. The town listened and I unfortunately cannot recall her name, but um, they that you can take your wheelchair and you can go and uh, access the play structure. There's a swing that is you can if you need to, you can go up in your wheelchair and then move over to the swing. Mm-hmm. So there's a swing wheelchair as well at uh, Fletcher Field on, off Peck Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one wish I would hope at some point in time, I'm sure they'll address it, is putting additional shading at the Daisy Field. Oh, yeah. in the yeah. summertime, yeah. that is just unbearable. It's so hot. <laughs> we were there. We did an event last summer, and it was the 98-degree day, and everybody was wilting. We were only there for half hour. I didn't even bring my daughter because she's like, not mm-hmm. happening, Mom. No. Oh, it's great. They they found all these great recyclable materials to use to make these playgrounds out of. And I I remember thinking when the kids were really young, this is fantastic. And then you sit on it, and it's ten degrees hotter than any other place on that on that <laughs> crumb rubber. And and you can't touch the merry-go-round because it's recycled plastic, which has been sitting in the sun. So um, yeah, baking. Yeah, but but Ariel, I've got a couple of years on you. When I was the kid, they were all metal. So yeah, yeah. It, mm-hmm. <laughs> you burn your tuchus if you didn't have a wet bathing suit on going down the slide. Yeah. <laughs> and even when you get up with a wet bathing suit, the wetness spot didn't stay long. <laughs> <laughs> I think they got, they've got it figured out over um, in Medway at Choate Park. They've got the, the, the sprinklers built into the playground there. So yes. Both needs at once. They mm-hmm. did a they did a phenomenal job there over at Choate. Yeah. So that's an example of an opportunity. And just in this short little conversation, we've come up with some. So join the group and yes. find out some more. <laughs> yep. We're we're on we're on Facebook. We're on what else, Ariel? We have a web page. Yep. We have a web page. We're on Facebook. We um we've got a mailing list. You can find that information on the website or the Facebook page. It's all under Franklin CPAC. So you can do facebook.com slash Franklin CPAC. You can do franklincpac.org on the web. Um, 
we are working on a community resource list, which is just kind of a crowdsourced, hey, I found this really cool thing and everybody's looking for you know, X, Y, Z right now, this is what I like about it. So it's both a place to collect that information and a place to share it out. Like I just saw an advertisement and I am not endorsing this because I have not seen it in practice, but the concept is group therapy through Minecraft mm. um, run by licensed professionals. And that's an example of, hey, this looks really cool, especially for those kids who don't know people or aren't comfortable, aren't right. comfortable in person. Sure, um, this would be a great thing to check out. Or there was recently a new hotline for Massachusetts behavioral health uh, crisis. Um, throw that up there. So that's uh, another resource where we're hopefully going to launch soon. We're also working on something that we're calling an inclusion checklist or cheat sheet which is something that we both like to provide to schools for events that they're holding and to pretty much anybody in town running a community event. And it talks about, here are some questions you can ask yourself. You know, as, as I said earlier, we don't expect you to make everything accessible to every person in the world. It's, it's just that there are some events that you're not going to be able to do that without eliminating them entirely. However, mm -hmm. here's some of the things that you can do if you're doing a visual presentation if you're doing an event in a theater, perhaps put aside some seating for folks that, that have sensory challenges that might want to be a little further away from the speakers. Um, and we're really excited about that. And that's just about ready to go. We, on the mailing list survey, we ask not only for where you'd like to receive the emails, but what topics interest you? What would you like to hear more about? What would you like to learn about? So when we first launched that, the, the two top topics were anxiety and depression and behavior. Mm. So this year we've already had um, a meeting in regard to learning some basic concepts of CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, we are working on right now, um, talking with a gentleman from uh, Think Kids at Mass General Hospital um, about collaborative problem solving. We think that will be a huge one for folks in response to a need that they've stated. Um, we'd love to have him come talk about why punishments and rewards don't necessarily work and that mm. kids succeed if they can succeed and if they don't it's not a question of will it's a question of skill um another need that we've seen folks talk about is dyslexia there's been a lot of uh recent legislation that has changed about dyslexia both about identifying it and about how it needs to be addressed so we've been in touch with decoding dyslexia of massachusetts nancy duggan who's going to find us a speaker in response to what the community wants to hear about. We've also recently tried to um, set it up such that we're gonna aim for board meetings on the first Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. Um, on Zoom. We'd like to keep it consistent. People know where to look, what to plan for. Obviously there might be some exceptions if there are vacations or mm -hmm. more days sure. off mixed in there. Yep. Um, we're looking to try to hold parent meetups, um, which might just be a, a way in the door for folks who need that person to talk to and those we're going to try to hold on was was it the third thursday patty i think it was the third thursday of the month and i think they're at birchwood does that ring a bell yeah the first one was at birchwood and i think we talked about switching up the time of day and possibly the location to try to really give an opportunity to as many people as possible that's going to be on the website so tune into the website and follow our social media places and that's where you can get all the details yeah. yes 
and also make sure you put it on the community calendar, which I can help foster sharing. Right. We will do that too. Thank yeah. you, Steve. Definitely. Yes. And following up as well, uh, for the events in particular, that inclusionary checklist, um, yeah. certainly the downtown partnership, cultural council, cultural district, uh, all come to mind immediately as organizers. So as that's ready, let me know and I can help foster that distribution so that everybody's aware of it. Let's uh, just not, say those again, downtown partnership. Downtown partnership, clearly they sponsor the Harvest Festival yep. and the Strawberry Stroll. Cultural. Uh, the Cultural Council. Mm -hmm. as the cultural festival in september yep um there's probably gonna there i think i know they did the metro west art symposium last year i think they're in plannings for that again this year and then the cultural district um, okay collaborates on a couple of things uh in particular they've got a thing now where they're looking for artists to paint some of the utility boxes that we see on the streets yeah that's so they've got awesome an artsy box project love it but that would well, be great. And if we could find somebody interested to do one on behalf of CPAC, uh, if we have, I, I guarantee that we have, you know, artists among our community members, um, that'd be wonderful. So we'll make sure to get that inclusion checklist to those organizations, Steve, and reach out to you so you can help us disseminate that. Yeah. For sure. Yes. And it says right on there, you know, we're always looking for more information on how to, how to make this a better sheet, how to make it better information. And I'm not going to say there's, no bad ideas because there are plenty of bad ideas and they're usually mine. Um, <laughs> but we're certainly open to hearing people's ideas. We want to, as I said right at the beginning of this, it is really important that we hear from people because we can't anticipate the needs of things that we are not personally experienced with. Some of us are in um, special education. Most of us are not. And we're just coming from a place where, where we're trying to be a resource, but we need folks to, to help out with that. And so we want to hear your voice. Yeah. You have a voice. Let it be heard and use us to help amplify that for the whole community. Yeah, and and speaking of wanting their voices, we are always interested in hearing if people have an area of specialty that they'd like to share with the community outside of that, that particular sheet. Um, CPAC is always seeking, you know, folks that want to get more involved if there's somebody out there that is fantastic with fundraisers and event planning, we'd love to hear from them. Yes, please. If somebody would like to donate some time um, and they're a CPA, we would love to hear from you. <laughs> We're just going to toss it all out there and see, throw that net, cast that net wide Might and see as what well. we get. Might Thank you, well. Steve. No, hey, this is, um, it was interesting because I can tie in a recent book that I read, which is sharing, learning, et cetera. But um, where do ideas come from? And you reference bad ideas. Well, what makes a bad idea? If you didn't really think through it well, it could be bad. <laughs> but if you think through it, then it becomes better. So hence the list for the inclusionary. So if you're going to put an event together, use the inclusionary list, think through it, then the event becomes that more accommodating to more and more people. Mm -hmm. um, the book, uh, Where Do Good Ideas Come From by Stephen Johnson. I did it on uh, Audible. It's available in the usual bookstores. The one, there's, I think, seven ideas uh, or origination points. And I think one of the key pieces is with the group coming together, you're going to help hit one of the key pieces he talks about is the adjacent possible. Mm. by coming together and then having somebody toss out an idea. Now it opens up the door that you didn't know 
prior was available. And now somebody can build onto that. So it's the adjacent and it may be possible. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a wonderful concept and it's just, it keeps coming back up. So I use it. (laughs) Say one more time, Steve, the title, please. Title of the book. Yes. And we'll, for the listeners, you don't have to go scrambling. We'll put it in the show notes, but Steven Johnson is the author. Okay. He spells it the other way. So it's S T E V E N. Uh huh. Johnson. Um, where do ideas come from? Gotcha. Or maybe where do good ideas come from? But I'll have the link in the show notes. Oh, I see Patty planning a book night. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm trying to work hook up with Ariel at Escape into Fiction. We had one in the fall and people didn't come. I like to always do local. So sure. I'm open for that. So yeah, yes. one of the one of the challenges that we faced um, in particular is that um, during COVID, a lot of things went by the wayside. You know, yes. um, I know that the the local scout groups really um, diminished quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of groups and a lot of clubs, a lot of teachers who who teach out of their homes, lost mm-hmm. a lot of clients, and CPAC lost a lot of the folks that had previously been um, running these events and, and running such. Sure. You know, publications. Yep. Um, and they were all wonderful, but they also have their own lives. Some of them have kids who graduated and some of them, you know, everybody contributes what they can contribute. So some of the things we are building upon what they what they left for us and some of them are starting fresh. So one of the, the biggest things that we need is is community engagement. And we're always, as I said a million times already, we want people's input. We want people's involvement. We want to know you know, how can we do things that that will make you want to be a part of this? What, what will make it fun? And provide some info along the way, provide some resources, provide oh, some yeah. shoulders to cry on or hug with, etc. So. 100%. Patty, that makes me think we should probably hold an event. Um, definitely places with excellent pastries. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And I, with- I mean, no, go ahead. No, I uh, uh, pastries and in the if it's in the evening, maybe uh, adult beverages. Sometimes that mm-hmm. is welcome. Yeah. And I know, Entice. and Birchwood does both right in town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I know that a couple of years back there were regular Thursday night meeting at Cole's Tavern. Unfortunately, there were, we don't have that anymore. Right. We do not. No, but, but um, you, we are fortunate. There are other spots. Uh, Poor Richards comes to mind. 67 yeah. Degrees comes to mind. Yeah. Specifically on the alcoholic beverages side, but there are other places. <laughs> Sounds like Steve knows all the people. We're going to be hitting you up for that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank, thank you, you for, for taking some time today. I've learned a bunch. Hopefully the folks listening and hopefully they're still listening and getting ready to uh, go cruise to look for the website and sign up for that email list and catch a current event. And we hope to hear from you and seek us out. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. And for the listeners, a quick reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. 
The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.